Hello and welcome to season two of Tastemaker Conversations. Season two? Season two, Todd. This is a podcast for food bloggers, foodie influencers, all kinds of content creators in the food space, and we want to help inspire and educate you guys and introduce you to the Tastemaker idea of collaboration over competition. I'm Susie. I'm Todd. We're your hosts. We also run HeyGrillHey.com and Patio Provisions. And today we are interviewing Michelle Tam from Nom Nom Paleo. And Michelle is our opening keynote at Tastemaker, and she's bringing all of that excitement and energy and pump you up vibes that she'll be bringing to Tastemaker in our little conversation here today. I hope you guys give this one a listen. We're going to be talking about dominating in a specific food niche. We're also going to be talking about transitioning from food blogger part-time to food blogger full-time and she's going to give some actionable tips and advice for those with a dream that are just starting out to help you transition into whatever you want your food blogging career to look like. Let's do it. Here we go. Hey Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I want to give a little bit of an intro to Michelle so that you guys listening can kind of get a background on how awesomely amazing she is and why we're so excited to get to know her a little bit better. Michelle Tam is the co-creator of the Savior award-winning food blog, Nom Nom Paleo. Together with her husband, Henry, they've also produced a Webby award-winning cooking app, authored two New York Times bestselling cookbooks, which I feel like needs like a... Like, that's amazing. And also have been nominated for a James Beard Award. She has been dubbed the Martha Stewart of Paleo by the New York Times and CBS News. Michelle is the food nerd behind Nom Nom Paleo's recipes and personality. Nom Nom Paleo is whimsical, family-oriented with cartoons and jokes woven through their delightful and lighthearted cookbooks, app, and blog. Michelle has a degree in nutrition and food science from the University of California at Berkeley and a doctorate in pharmacy from UCSF. For over a dozen years, she worked the graveyard shift at Stanford Hospital and clinics as a night pharmacist before her side hustle become her, became her main hustle. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I used to so, be a zombie drug dealer. A zombie <laughs> drug dealer. I, I went and I went and people are like, oh, why didn't you see that? I'm like, well, I used to deal drugs in the middle of the night. And because I never slept, I was literally like a zombie for half of my life. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I feel like anyone who has worked a grave shift can relate to that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, like I've worked graveyard shifts for 12 years. And now all the stuff I'm learning about sleep, I'm like, oh, I really messed myself up <laughs> for many years. But that's okay. Aren't, aren't you glad that you got that out of the way when you were young, though? <laughs> I, I guess. Um, but at the same time, like I would be so much healthier if I hadn't done that. But at the same time, if I hadn't done graveyard, um, I wouldn't have found Nom Nom Paleo and I wouldn't have had the time to, to do it. I wouldn't have had the, the reason to, you know, experiment with different ways of eating because I, I felt like a zombie and I felt terrible. And when I kind of discovered paleo, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I have to tell the whole world about it. <laughs> Exactly. And that's kind of how I wanted to like transition and start our conversation was how did you get into Nom Nom Paleo? And so that is like the perfect segue. (laughs) When did you start your blog and kind of like you said that that paleo shift, that diet shift in what you were eating really changed how you were feeling and your desire to share that kick started Nom Nom Paleo. So when was that and kind of what did that process look like for you to get into food blogging? So um Nom Nom Paleo was started in 2010. 
So by that time, I had been working graveyard shift for about eight years. Um, we had two kids. And so, and I was in my early, let's see, I guess I was in my early 30s. Yeah, early 30s. So I was like, oh, that's when like your metabolism starts slowing down. Like all the things start breaking down. And <laughs> Henry and I- I can relate to this. <laughs> and Henry and I looked at each other like, oh, we need to like get in shape. And, but we don't have time to go to the gym. And so we bought these home DVDs. And so we started just kind of doing our own thing. And Henry, to keep himself accountable, um, started a P90X blog. I don't know if you guys have heard of P90X, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's like those those DVDs that you see ads for in the middle of the night, or that's how he saw it. And he started um, this 90 day challenge, and he started writing about the different people in P90X, like the people that you're working out with, just to kind of keep it interesting for himself. <laughs> Um, and then one of the people in the videos is Mark Sisson, who is, um, you know, he's the guy, the OG kind of primal guy. Um, yeah. And he has primal kitchen foods and he has Mark's Daily Apple. And he's like, oh, this is really interesting because what he's promoting now is kind of different from this supplement that he was kind of um, promoting in P90X. And so he started kind of going down that path. He's like, oh, this is all about kind of eating um, you know, real foods and kind of an ancestral approach to eating. And so he tried it and like immediately, like he got like a six pack and he was like, Oh my gosh, I feel so great. I'm like, huh, interesting. Uh, this is like against everything that I was taught as a nutrition major. Like I was a nutrition major in the nineties when it was all about like low fat, high carb, like no red meat. And so I was like, the way you're eating, you're just going to kill yourself. And it's crazy. He's like, I don't know. I feel really good. And like with these videos, like they, they encourage you to do like a, a, the, the picture before you start the workout and then like 90 days after. And so I did kind of like the girl version of P90X. And so I took a before and after picture and I looked worse. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, huh. I know. And I don't feel great. And I was hungry all the time. And Henry was like, I don't know. I feel great. Look, I got a six pack. And I'm like, huh. And so then, um, I was like, maybe this is just something I should try. And so then I did try, you know, going paleo and I felt so much better. Um, and there was all this stuff that I had my whole life that I just kind of attributed to just how I felt like I always had kind of gut issues my whole life. And, um, I had all this joint pain and I was like, Oh, it's cause I'm a mom and I'm always like lifting the kids. That's why I have tendinitis all the time, but all of it kind of went away when I went paleo. So then I was like, Oh, I've been living in the matrix. Everyone needs to know <laughs> like, about this way of eating. Um, and then, you know, I was telling all the people in my real life and then my sister pulled me aside and was like, oh, you're being really annoying. I know you feel great, but you know, you should probably cool it with telling everyone about paleo. So I'm like, okay, I'll just tell people on the internet. Um, <laughs> I'll stop telling you in person. I'll tell yeah, everyone I'll just, else. Yeah. I'll just, if people want to find it, I can start this food blog. Um, and I wasn't even really planning on doing one. Like Henry had been blogging for a long time, but, but even like 10 years ago, I was like, Oh, there's, there's nothing new for me to put in the food space. But then when I went paleo, I'm like, Oh, well, there really aren't that many food blogs that are devoted to paleo. Um, and I just want to put out what I would want to see because there isn't someone that 
like likes going out to eat as much as I do and, you know, grew up the same way that I did. Um, and so Henry created this Tumblr blog and I actually was, we were on Tumblr up until like two years ago. <laughs> so, you know, people are like, wow, you, you know, you've been doing this food blogging thing for so long. I'm like, yeah, but we've been doing it wrong for so long. <laughs> I feel like all of the truths that you're saying are so unique to you, but so universal to food bloggers everywhere, even yeah. still. Like, I know you're saying 10 years ago, you thought that there was nothing new in the food space. Like, how silly does that sound now? Yeah. After over the past 10 years, seeing so many other bloggers jump in and start something and contribute from their own perspective and their own experience and the things that, you know, they see fill a need. Totally. Like, I just am like hearing my own voice in what you're saying. So it's kind of yeah. funny to, to know that that's how it's been. And looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've done everything wrong the whole time I've been blogging. <laughs> but sometimes I think it's good. Like when you don't know what you don't know, like you really do, you know, create it in the way that you want it. I mean, yep. obviously now I'm like, Oh, well I should have put ads on here. Like I didn't put ads on my site until October. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I left a lot of money on the table. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yes. Um, but, and so now I know. And so that's a good thing that I know now that I can fix. And so, um, what's funny is I went to, I was invited to a mastermind, um, in October and like all these women had all these amazing blogs and they were telling me all this stuff. I'm like, Oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. But instead of, feeling like defeated or like crushed. I was like, no, this is great. I, I, I cannot, like I'm starting from the bottom. Anything I do is a huge improvement. <laughs> so, far. so, you know, but you, I'm sure that they were sitting there soaking up everything that you had to <laughs> offer and the experience that you had too. And I think that's, what's so great about the food blogging community is that is diverse. Yeah. And beyond that we share and we learn from each other and we grow and we all start somewhere. And every time we do, one of these podcast interviews or every time I go to a conference or sit and talk down to it with another blogger, I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's yeah. how I should do the things. And even no, people I mean, with yeah. like, even people that come in brand new with almost zero experience, they offer a fresh perspective and can give you new ideas. Like it's just incredible across the board. No, totally. Like I feel the same way. I'm like everyone in the community is so generous and it really is just, it, it doesn't hurt you to help other people. Like it's that whole that rising tide, whatever. Yeah, I don't know the quote, but you know, the yeah, yeah. ships. Like, <laughs> like I think that's a really, I think that's a really important way to look at things. And that's how you can grow and everyone else can grow. And I think it's great. I think so too. So that kind of led into my next question, which was how have you seen food blogging change over the last 10 years? But I kind of feel like you explained it so well. Like, I mean, Tumblr ads, like so many yeah. things have transitioned. So kind of what have you seen through the progression of your 10 years in the food blogging space? You know, what's funny is I didn't even pay attention to any of it until I kind of went to that mastermind. And I'm now I'm like, oh, there's all these things I need to work on. But at the same time, I realized that a lot of the stuff that I was kind of doing organically was um, kind of building my blog um, without me worrying about SEO and all this other stuff. Um, like I think, and I know it's so cliche, but I really think that if you're putting out stuff that you're really proud of, um, that you think is useful and delightful to other people, 
people will find it. Um, obviously, it's easier if you've got like a Pinterest-ready picture and all this other stuff, um, and you've kind of, you know, got all the stuff um, in your recipe card. Like, I didn't even add recipe cards <laughs> until recently, too. I mean, this is all crazy stuff that, um, you know, obviously, if you do those things, that will help you. But I think ultimately, if you have content that people love, they'll keep coming back. Um, because even if you boost it for SEO and people come to your site, like if they're bombarded by like a bazillion ads, they're never going to come back. Or if it's like, you know, they come and the recipe that they tried doesn't work, they're not going to come back. Or if it's just totally generic and, you know, they're just, they, nothing distinguishes you from anyone else. Um, they're not going to come back. So I think it's really important to just kind of build something that you're super proud of. Um, and don't just put stuff up because you're like, oh, I'm on this cadence where I have to put in like, you know, put up three new recipes, like just put up awesome stuff. And obviously more frequently if you can, but if you can't, you can't. Right. Um, Todd was like pointing at me like he had something to say, but I'm hijacking because I want to contribute really fast. <laughs> because I think what you said is so universally true. And every time, I mean, there are techniques and there are tips and there are t- tricks to like improving your odds when it comes Mm -hmm. to SEO or when it comes to social media. But at the end of the day, it's all about content and your content has to serve the people that are coming to your website. And I love that you use the phrase delight them. Like if you're thinking of the user experience and you're thinking of making those people happy and want to come back and you almost treat it like a customer service exchange, it's going to influence the type of content that you create for the better regardless of all of the things that are going to change over the course of blogging. And they will, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've seen ups and downs and changes in every facet of food blogging over the last, I mean, five years even. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's great to think about that from the perspective of making your readers happy, (laughs) making your readers want to come back, making your readers enjoy the interaction as much as you enjoyed creating the stuff that you're making. Yeah, I I always think of myself as the consumer. So when I, like at first, the reason why we never, I think we joined an ad network like many years ago, but that was back when they didn't do kind of targeted ads. And it was kind of like, they'd have some random thing that people would be like, why are you advertising this? This has nothing to do with paleo, blah, blah, blah. Right. um, But now it's targeted ads and like every site had ads and I didn't really realize it. Um, And when I was thinking, I was like, oh, I don't think anyone everyone will be so annoyed by ads. But then I realized that almost everything I look at has ads and it doesn't bother me. And then I was like, Oh, then I'm going to put them up. (laughs) I mean, obviously, (laughs) you know, not super crazy, but like I, you know, I need to make money and I need to, you know, pay for the server and all the things that I do to kind of upkeep the blog. So I'm going to put some ads up there. Yeah. I mean, we're all about making money, but I think that when you think of it from the consumer's perspective, you can do that well, right? Like you can make money and be like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you can be providing a quality service to your consumers at the same time. Like it's okay. Henry and I always kind of look at things like we are kind of guiding forces. We try to follow the NPR model where you kind of give all this amazing free content And then, you know, several times a year or whenever it is, you have a pledge drive, right? And it's like, you know, we've given you all this stuff. Now is our ask. 
Um, yep. And so we, you know, obviously there are kind of the ads throughout, but we don't kind of do a big ask until we have like a cookbook or something. We're like, okay, here's something that we would really like your support on. And hopefully people will feel like they've gotten enough from us that they want to support us. And I feel like our generation is kind of changing things. Cause I feel like this is in no means meant to be disrespectful to <laughs> like a generation or two ahead of us, but I feel like we're very kind of keyed in to things better when we're reading a, a food blog recipe and we can tell that it's just kind of like, Oh, like this is like, you can't even tell, like there's no meaning behind it. There's no message. There's no, it's just, I'm just, slapping up recipes and hoping to get Google traffic, you know, like, yeah, like I feel like we all want, like, we want to make, we want to put a message out there and we want to change people's lives for the better. Right. So I don't know. I think there's danger in just playing the Google SEO game and schlepping whatever up there, copying what someone else is doing. I think it's very dangerous because I think you'll get lost in the dust a little bit. I think okay. eventually it'll, it'll get, Go ahead. I think, um, I think it's, it's kind of like karma, right? I mean, it'll work for a little bit and eventually Google's AI will get smart. <laughs> right? You know, you'll get punished for it. Yep. And I think that just creates like, um, it doesn't build trust with your readers and it doesn't build mm -hmm. trust with your audience. And so, like you said, when you, when you deliver this awesome free content that you're proud of and that your readers love, when you do have an ask, there's, there's already an understanding there. There's a level of respect. There's a desire to reciprocate that relationship. And so when you're thinking of your, your audience as, you know, a relationship that you're building with your readers, it'll dictate the type of content that you create and it'll dictate, you know, how they respond to you in the future. And I think that's super powerful and something that I've noticed you guys have done incredibly well. So, I mean, congratulations and thank you for all the inspirational tips so far because <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, I, I have. Wanna, I want to take this next uh -oh. one. Okay. Because we're going to ask about your transition here from your uh, zombie drug dealer <laughs> career <laughs> to what you're doing now because I, I did the same thing. I went through a master's program, got my CPA license, spent 10 years in the industry, and then just walked away from it to work with Susie on this. So. I, we want to ask you about what your transition was like when you when you switched from your traditional professional to what you're doing now. Well, it was a tough choice to do. Um, so I did non-paleo and um, zombie drug dealing for like four years. Um, and, you know, I, it also kind of happened at a time when like paleo was kind of exploding. Um, but because I'm like, the child of immigrants, it was like, I can't quit my job. Like, this is so stable. Like the kids health insurance is through mine. Cause I don't have to pay extra. Whereas if it was through Henry's job, we'd have to pay extra. <laughs> and you know, I was like, I just like, I just like the safety of it. Right. Um, but then I realized that I think like my parents didn't risk everything to like come to this country even though it seemed like they're always like, oh, you, your education's first, and you have to work really hard and have a stable career. Um, but I don't think they risked everything just so that I would have this kind of, you know, monotonous worker bee kind of existence. Then you're um, unhappy, probably. Not, right. not, not completely happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I clearly, after I, yeah, I, I realized, like, oh, I don't like working nights. I don't like being 
jet lagged every other week and missing out on so much of my family's, you know, day-to-day life. Um, and so, but at the same time, I feel like we've kind of cheated because Henry hasn't quit his job, right? So, <laughs> hey, yeah, that's we're okay. Both children, we're both children of immigrants. They're like, well, one of us needs health insurance. Um, <laughs> paid, by, paid by, you know, corporate America. Um, we just I, bought our own and it's very expensive. You <laughs> right? might not be unwise. Yeah. Uh, so it was a weird thing, but it also, I was at a point where I was like, I can't, I can't keep working nights and doing this. Like there's no way I can grow non-non-paleo um, if I'm still working nights. And so that's when I was like, oh, this is, and actually it was funny because the reason why the, the precipitating, precipitating event that made me quit my job was we had gotten nominated for our first Webby for um, our app. And because I work nights, it's really hard to find coverage. And so they almost couldn't find coverage for me to attend the Webby Awards. And I was like, what? I, I, will, I will be so mad if I'm working the night shift on the night of the Webbies. And like, this is probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. Right. And I'm just missing it just so I can clock in at the hospital. And so that's when I was like, nope, mic drop, I'm quitting. <laughs> um, but it's been a weird transition. So I, I've been full-time non on paleo for like two, I think two years now. Um, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's been more. I think I quit in 2014. Yeah, it's almost been five years. See, I have no... Two, five, it all runs together. Yeah, I don't even know how that works. (laughs) See, when Um, you're self-employed, you forget what day it is all the time. It is, it is. Um, (laughs) So it's a weird balance between working all the time and then also not having structure. Yeah. So I really, like, I know that in terms of the four tendencies, like Gretchen Rubin's, like, the personality types, I'm definitely an obliger. So I need someone to tell me what to do. That's why I was such a good worker bee at the hospital. Cause I was like, this is my shift. Like I take the people's pager when it's the end of my shift, I give someone my pager. Like I do my work while the shift is going. And so that's been an adjustment for me being my own boss. Like I was like, Oh, I need to actually do the things. And so yeah. I, have, I have to create kind of systems for myself. Like I kind of do the whole Pomodoro method where it's like, okay, I set the timer. I work 20 minutes, I have five minute break work another 20 minutes, have another five minute break. And I do like five cycles of this. Um, just because otherwise I'm just going to be just, you know, surfing on Instagram or doing stuff that doesn't actually do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty, but we still call it work. No, we're working. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm I'm working. I'm building, you know, the brand, you know, I'm I'm engaging. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but I think what's great is I think, Henry, even though like Henry, Henry does all the things. So he has a real job where he works really hard. And then when he's not working, he does all the photos and graphics. He designs all our cookbooks, but he's also very good at saying, Hey, you know, it'd probably be a good idea if you did one recipe a week. And we're like, okay. <laughs> you know, so I think he's good at making sure I stay on task. And oh, that's someone, fantastic. And once someone tells me what to do, I will do it. Again, because then I'm a lighter. I'm not in a folder where I can create my own like things that I have to do. I have to have yeah. someone tell me. So when Henry just kind of, and he knows um, if he pushes too hard, I won't do it. So it has to just be like, oh, it's my own idea. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Great. So 
you, Todd and I are the opposite, where we're both <laughs> the ones that are like, oh, we should eat lunch outside for four hours instead of doing work today and the other one's like you know what that sounds like a really good plan yeah like I literally had to hire the person to tell me what to do like I'm paying someone to tell me how to live my life right now yeah but you have an in-house CPA like Henny and I are both money stupid (laughs) and so that's like a bad combination (laughs) yeah well you're giving me a lot of confidence I appreciate that It does help. I'm not going to lie. Except for when we get to the end of the month and he adds the numbers and he shows me the paper and he's all, so... We spent too much money. We need to rein it in. And it happens every month. And then we're really good for about a week. (laughs) Okay, so I want to ask you, um, we kind of know your transition story. What advice do you have for bloggers that are kind of aspiring to quit their day job, their full time? and, And what... What advice do you have for those currently navigating that transition? So I really think that you do need to think long and hard before you quit your job. I think like, and I think there are, and obviously you can make money at food blogging and there are lots of people that have lots of courses that teach you how to do this. But I think unless you are actually making money doing it, and it's kind of proven for a certain number of months that you're actually making money and it can grow, you should still have it as a side hustle. But then this could be me as an immigrant child. Like you never quit a job (laughs) until you have another job lined up kind of deal. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Because, you know, but, but it all depends on your circumstances, right? I mean, obviously if you're young and you can take more risk, you should totally do it. But if it's, you know, where you're, you know, one of the main breadwinners in your family and you have a lot of people dependent on you, you should probably kind of get your ducks in a row and kind of actually be very methodical about thinking about whether or not this would work for you and your situation. Um, but that's just me being super conservative. About we were the same way. So we, I made Susie told me the beginning of, I don't remember what year it was, a couple years ago in January, you're quitting your job this year. And I'm like, you're making like $200 a month on this thing. Like, I don't think so. So, but literally it was June that same year. So six months later we sat down and she had increased the income enough to where it was mm-hmm. kind of a serious discussion. And we kind of projected out the next six months of what could be. Mm-hmm. And I said, you need to be like making more or doubling my income. And then we need six months in the bank. Yeah. And then in June, just kind of on a whim, it looked like that was possible. So I gave like an advanced notice to my boss that I was quitting so they could hire someone and train them and everything. And December of that year, I walked away and it was the scariest thing ever. But we had a plan. And I had doubled his yeah. income and had six months in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you do need a plan, right? And you need yep. to, it has to be something reasonable that you can actually live off of this. Um, yep. Or you could be like me and just have Henry keep working. <laughs> um, but Always think, an option. But I do think that there are, and if you are serious about it, there are, I mean, clearly after I went to this master, I'm like, there's so many ways that you can make money um, and have it be a really good living potentially. If you totally, you know, you invest and figure out all the keyword stuff and SEO stuff and put out great content. Like there is, there is, there's a lot of, potential for growth 
but you have to be serious about it. Yep. But we've also found just a word of caution with growth comes more cost. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the more we grow, the more expensive it is to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to start hiring people to figure yep. out how to do it. I mean, that's at a stage where I am right now where I'm like, oh, I need to hire someone. And I also have to be very smart about it and hire slowly and fire quickly. That was like the best <laughs> advice I got from someone. Like, well, you're right. Because normally I'll like hire super fast. And it's just an easy recommendation from someone. And then I just hold on to them and it doesn't always work out. (laughs) (laughs) We've all, I've been there. Um, So I think that, I think those are great tips is, is yes, it's possible. Like, yes, it's possible. Mm -hmm. The whole point of having conferences and the whole point of having these conversations is to tell people like, it's possible. People are doing it. Like we're doing it. There is a path for everyone, whether you're starting now or whether you started 10 years ago, like there are still things that are changing and still Mm -hmm. things to learn. Um, but it does have to be something you're serious about. It has to be something that you like treat with. uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm sometimes words are so hard. (laughs) Love and respect. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta gotta nourish it like a relationship. Um, but truly you have to be serious about it and you have to treat it like an income, like a job, like a business. And it has to take that transition point to being a job instead of just a hobby. Um, I think if, if you want to make that transition to doing this full time as a career. And I think a really important thing is you have to be willing to pivot all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I think one thing that, um, and I, I think it's something that I kind of discovered about myself is like, like all these people always complain about the algorithm changing on all of these different social media platforms. And it actually doesn't really bother me because I always, I'm like, Oh, this is a free service to me. And I will just change however they want me to change because they're they're The reason why they're changing is to make it a better service for their users. It's not to screw you over. Right. Right. And so you're like, oh, I'm so committed to doing it this way. But it's like, no, no one cares and doesn't want to engage. You need to figure out how to make it engaging. And so, like, I hear all these people complain, like, ah, I hate how it's doing this. I'm like, well, then maybe you should change things. You know, (laughs) like, I know that video is a terrible thing and it's hard to do, but maybe you need to start learning how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, there are just things that you have to, and you have to embrace like, you know, IG stories and just connecting with your reader. Um, and just think about what, what I, like, I, again, I'm such a big user of like Instagram and all these things that I, I like, I'm like, but what is it that, why, why do I follow this particular person and what do they do that keeps me engaged? Um, and what do these other people do that make me mute them? And so that, you know, it's just a, I think it's just always kind of constantly be willing to constantly evolve. And I I don't think I've ever I feel like you boiled down a lot of concepts right there into one very beautiful actionable nugget of wisdom. And it's something that we talked about at the beginning of our conversation and that's user experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like are you thinking of your consumer first because I can guarantee you right now that the social media platforms we use that are billion dollar companies became billion dollar companies by thinking of their users, right? Mm-hmm. And when they make changes, it's because user behavior is changing. And we can talk all about how blogs have changed over the last decade. And 
the only reason that has happened is because user behavior has changed. Mm -hmm. The things that users want to see now, the way that users are relating to creators are changing. And it's because of these social media platforms. And so you're right, we can sit around and we can complain and we can stay stuck in our ways. But unless we're really willing to think of the consumer first and willing to make those changes and pivot to reach those readers, those viewers, those listeners, those watchers, however they're consuming our content. If we're not doing our best to reach them in a way that they like right now, it's like we're yelling at a wall. It's -hmm. like we're trying to communicate with people who just don't want to hear that message (laughs) because we're not presenting it in a way that they like it. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you're trying to get your kids to do something, right? Like, they want to be heard. Like, that's one of the easy, I think that's one of the things that when I when I learned this with my kids, I was like, oh my God, this is like magical. Um, <laughs> I think in one of, like, there was some parenting class because I was in, we were in like these kind of hippy-dippy co-op preschools. And it was like, all you have to do is, like, if your kid complains about something, you just have to say, wow. That is a terrible thing. I bet you feel really, I can see that you feel like this way about this situation and you don't have to fix it. You don't have to come up with a solution. You don't have to make them change how they feel. You just recognize it and see them. And then they'll just say, okay, cool. And they'll just like go away and they're totally happy about it. And I think that's kind of how it is with your readers, right? You just have to listen and see them And you may not have what they're looking for right away, but you're like, that is something that I'm going to try to do. But as long as I think they're heard, I think that, 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 that works. Um, that was awesome. And I feel like that's a really good place. So my last question for you was going to be, what are some actionable tips and advice for those kind of wanting to, to live this dream, I would say, what are your top three food blogging business tips? But I'm already going to just take that one from you and put it as number one, like (laughs) listen to your consumers and serve your people. Because I feel like that kind of has like summed up what we've been talking about throughout the entire conversation today. But maybe you can give me a couple more like little takeaway nuggets for people that are, are really wanting to live this food blogging dream. I do think you need to kind of pull your audience, um, you know, either through like Instagram when you have all those polls, but I think you do need to have some sort of interaction with your audience just so you know what they want. And, you know, you'd be surprised, like it may not be what you want to give them, <laughs> but, right. uh, but Henry says you have to find a balance because sometimes people don't know what they want. <laughs> and so you can give them what you want to give them. But you also have to listen to them and see what they want. Like, I know a lot of people like meal planning. And that's something I hate. But that is something I'm always kind of working towards because I know that that serves a need and people really want that. Um, And I definitely think you have to be open to new things. Like, basically, in Instagram, anytime they introduce something new, you should try those things out even if they're scary, because at the same time, Instagram will promote all the things they want you to try that are new. Um, and so that will also increase your engagement and all that other stuff. And I'm using Instagram just because I love Instagram the most. Um, and that's the other thing. I think you really, I mean, obviously you should learn about all the things that, um, can benefit you as a food blogger. Like I actually didn't realize like how huge Pinterest was because I'm not a big Pinterest fan. Um, but because I'm not naturally 
someone that's pinning stuff all the time. I hired someone to help me pin stuff because, yeah. you know, you need that. But once you recognize that, you can kind of outsource it if it's not your thing. Um, yep. But I think the big thing is, you know, your plan doesn't have to be your destiny. And I'm a perfect example of that. Um, and you can always change and it's never too late. I love that. Yeah. I need to like make that into an inspirational poster. Your plan <laughs> is not your destiny. Yeah. Because I'll tell you right now, if my destiny was the plan that I made when I first started my site four <laughs> years ago, I don't even, I, I'd probably we, just. We wouldn't be doing this. No, yeah. it'd be over. Like it wouldn't even have made it to the point where I could call it a business. Do you know what I mean? I've yeah. had to, I've had to adapt so many times. And if I were married to the one plan that I made that one time, and that was the only thing that I felt like I could and should do, we wouldn't have been able to grow at all. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to be grateful for all the things that are happening. Like, I think you should, I mean, I know this is all crazy woo woo and probably because I'm older and I'm in Silicon Valley where everybody's into like meditation and like microdosing LSD and stuff. <laughs> but I think it's really... <laughs> I do think that you can't always look like, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Because that, that is important for growth. But I think for happiness, you do have to say, wow, these are the things that I've accomplished. Um, and sometimes you, you should sit in it and kind of be happy and not always be striving for something that may not make you happy. Because that line yes. is always going to be further and further. Like you think you reach the point that'll make you happy, but then it keeps on moving. So it is important to kind of be grateful and in the moment while you're kind of planning the rest of, yeah. you know, world well, domination. I think that's what's great <laughs> is there's a difference between having goals and benchmarks and aspirations and having your goals to be happy in the mm -hmm. future at some point right? You can be happy right now and be grateful for what you have and grateful for what you've got and what you've built and still have goals and plans that honestly have nothing to do with your overall happiness. They can be goals that are related to your business or your personal development or, you know, like those things don't have to tie into happiness. And I think you're right. A lot of times when you see the comparisons of people, especially on the internet. And especially like you said, on Instagram, we spend a lot of time there, right? Mm -hmm. You see people that are doing these things and your first thought is like, Oh, they must be so happy. <laughs> right. Or if because I had that, things. I would be happy. Right. And yeah. If I had that, true. I'd be happier, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. And I think you're right. Gratitude is like the biggest key indicator and something that we really strive for. I actually have, I was telling you earlier, I write everything in a paper planner. And I have lines at the bottom of my planner for additional notes. And I have commandeered that section for a gratitude list. And every day I try to write three to four things on those lines that I'm grateful for. And yeah. some days it's just that I have like. I'm breathing. <laughs> yeah. Some days it's rough. <laughs> no, I do the same thing. Like when you said that, like I have this little journal by my bed, um, like on my nightstand and I call it my three awesome things like little gratitude journal because I write three awesome things to end my night. Um, and sometimes it is something totally not monumental, but I'm like, I had a great workout today or I'm yeah. going to bed early. And it's like, it's just little things. And I don't, and I, I used to have a diary when I was a kid where I just write about all the bad stuff that happened. But then I realized 
it's just better to focus on the good things and you know you just go to bed feeling better yeah well think about it at the end of your life would you want your kids digging through your nightstand and finding your complaint box or your (laughs) gratitude list exactly you know that's a good perspective on that note I think we're going to wrap it up because I think that's a great place to kind of send everybody off is, is thinking about gratitude and thinking about how lucky we are to be in this space and how wonderful it is. I mean, luck is kind of a stupid word because I know we all work really hard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it's a really unique opportunity that we've been able to create a life around something that we're excited about and passionate about and that we love. Um, And it was great to get to hear your perspective on that. For me personally, it was awesome to get to talk to you and get to know you better because I don't think we've ever met in person. No, I can't Um, wait to meet you guys. I know. Same. This is my favorite thing. This is my favorite thing about the Tastemaker podcast is we get a really kind of sneak peek into all of the amazing people that are going to be at Tastemaker. And like Michelle said, Tastemaker in Portland in September, tickets are sold out. So if you guys are listening, hopefully you already have your tickets. If you don't, you can head to the website, tastemaker.com, wait, tastemakerconference.com. And you can get on the wait list and be notified if there's a spot that opens up or for next year so that you're like ahead of the curve. But these conversations really give us um, a look into the talent and the caliber of creators that will be attending the conference. And it's the best for Todd and I, because we get to give everybody that we've talked to a giant hug and it's so much fun. (laughs) Um, So we're able to take these kind of digital relationships into the real world. And it's, it's my favorite. I know that's my favorite too. It's crazy, right? It's it's weird (laughs) that I am closer to people that I've never met. And then when you meet them in real life, like you just know everything about them. (laughs) Yes. It's like we've always known each other. So I look forward to giving you a massive hug at Portland in September. Todd will be there too. And we're excited to see all the tastemaker attendees and get to know you guys better and hear your stories and, and see what you're working on because that's the best to be in a creator community and experience the energy around people that are making great things. So we'll see you guys in September. Thanks again, Michelle. It's my pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) that's a wrap guys thanks so much for listening Susie, remind us again when tastemaker conference is september 19th to the 21st in portland todd and i will be there 2019 shell will be there 2019 Okay, okay tickets are currently sold out but if you can't get enough tastemaker in your life and you are excited for the conference or you're hoping that maybe a couple more tickets will open up and you can hop on the wait list. Make sure to follow along on Instagram at Tastemaker Conference. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.